Do you really want your company to stand out in the crowded digital space? Do you want to get more people to know, like, and trust you with your story? Authentic Web Video Marketing Agency can help you to collect those stories, the stories that sell, connect the stories to the situation, produce the videos that you need in each of the situations, and then use the latest techniques, including video ads, retargeting, and email to deliver those video stories. Authentic Web is the video production and marketing agency trusted by top marketers to help their story stand out in a crowded space. Visit AuthenticWeb.media to learn more. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to another Garlic Marketing Show. Today, we're going to talk about a very, very, very important topic with a very, very, very important guy. <laughs> Our guest today, we're lucky to have, um, has worked for companies like uh, little companies like what? MG, who haven't you worked for, actually, Dean Edelson, in the Hollywood industry? <laughs> well, I'm, looking, a- I'm looking through here. I'm like, we've got Warner Brothers, Paramount, DreamWorks, Sony, Columbia, Universal, Disney, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox Sports, The Nightly News, Saban, Saban, I never know how to pronounce that. And, you know, Ben worked on Seinfeld, Frazier, Grace Under Fire before becoming an awesome copywriter that's used by some of the top companies out there. Dean, thanks for being on the show. But yeah, who haven't you worked for in the, in Hollywood? <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's no one I haven't worked for. <laughs> uh, man, well, I, <laughs> when you're a freelancer, and even then I was, I was freelancing, so I, it was, it was a lot of fun working for all the different studios and I'd work for them directly and I'd also work for them through some of the, uh, independent, uh, promo production houses in, in Los Angeles. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I want to get into like what's working right now in copy. I think copy, even if, you know, even if you're doing video, there's a lot of videos that need great copy and even using great copy principles in your videos is important. And I, I actually just got from one of my friends. She sent me over her about us video. I'm like, man, there's way too much about you and your about us video. And you know, looking at your about us page, it, it's perfect because it's it's the first line is it's not about me, it's about you. And I want to get into all that, but before we do, I want to hear your story of of how you got to here being this awesome copywriter because I think it's an interesting story. So it, that was never my intention in life. I. I, I went through um, I, I went through all of grade school and high school and college on a career path of wanting to be a, a physician, a doctor. However, at the same time, I wanted to do comedy. I always I was just in love with comedy as a kid growing up with cartoons with Bugs Bunny, Abner Costello, Laurel and Hardy. I'm dating myself so you can see how old I am. <laughs> and uh, 
and I always loved watching stand-up comics, but I was on this career path of science and medicine, and I actually went to dental school because my oh. thinking was, even when I was in, I went to Emory University in Atlanta, and I was the um, I was the director of a of an improv and sketch comedy group for four years and for a year to of uh of graduate school and i loved it we put on these two hour two and a half hour shows uh, every other friday night and writing sketches and improvising and it was interspersed with music and it was one of the most popular things on campus loved doing it worked with a bunch of really funny funny people and it was at the time when saturday night live was in its infancy and early stages so that was a real big thing second city was huge it still is today so uh, um, I went to a year of dental school. I was miserable, and I just decided I what I wanted to do, really do was something I'd wanted to do all my life was to be a stand-up comedian. So I, after my freshman year of dental school, I left. I drove to Chicago. I literally had 500 bucks to my name and one duffel bag, and uh, I landed in Chicago. I got a job as a waiter, and I started taking workshops in Second City. And from there, I fell into two improv groups and started doing stand-up comedy. And and I did stand-up comedy for for 15 years, full-time. I made a living at it, loved it, traveled all over, all through the 80s, through the mid-90s. And uh, I loved every single minute of it, working clubs. My, my base was, I started in Chicago and then moved to New York. And I was in Manhattan, and my home club was the improv in New York City. So even on a Sunday or a Monday night, you could bounce around and do three to five shows a night, even on a Sunday or a Monday night in the city, so you could get good really fast and really just have a great time and hone your chops. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I always love, I love using stand-up com- comedy as an analogy for so many things because you a, you have to just do it a lot, right? And you have to test things out and you have to test them and test them and test them and test them and hone them. And sometimes they just don't land, right? Just like marketing. I mean, I bet you learned a lot in that whole process. Well, what is, I'm always surprised and then I'm not surprised by what I learned in comedy. And you hit it right on the nose because you're going up on stage and you're trying new material. Just like if you're writing a piece of copy, you're testing it. So you're actually testing your material. And in today's Internet world, you get immediate feedback. Is this is this Facebook ad or Google ad or is my uh, sales letter or landing page going to work? Is it converting? You could see those metrics right away in stand up. You know if your stuff works, if you get a laugh. It's immediate and instantaneous. So you get to try it. The audience, your market is helping you hone your material if you're listening to them and they help shape that joke until it's just right or that story until it's just right. And it's there are so many parallels between doing stand up out there and also being a, uh, a copywriter as well, especially a direct response copywriter uh, where you need that immediate feedback. Content copywriting is a little different. You're writing a blog. Yes, you're getting your likes. You're also getting immediate response. Um, uh, people are saying, hey, I like this article. They're sharing it. So with, no matter what kind of copy you're doing, you're always getting that, that feedback, which helps you shape your copy. And it was the same way with stand-up. Yeah, and direct response. And what's so cool now about direct response, we've been talking a lot about it because of, 
you know, this balance between direct response and branding. And I'm really trying to get people to understand direct response that don't know, that are in the old branding field. But with direct response, you have to, you, you get feedback. The whole idea is to get immediate feedback, unlike a branding piece of copy that you're like, did that work? <laughs> well, right. And how are you defining branding? It, for me, branding is an identity that is uh, that's contingent upon time. Have you really earned the respect and trust of your market? Do you have something that people come to that they can say, "Hey, you got to try that. You got to try this toothpaste. You have to. You have to use this." This agency, you have to try the, these shoes are fantastic. And that comes with time. Are you giving your audience and branding also includes, you know, are you giving great customer service? Because everything you do as a company is a part of your brand at every step of the way and every point in the daisy chain. It doesn't matter. So when, when somebody comes to me, I guess for copy and says, Hey, I, we need help with our branding. I'll ask, well, do you know who your market is first? Do you know who's buying it? Is your product good? Do you have a great track record with your product? Because that's where branding for me comes toward. That's the latter part of the uh, the marketing chain. Yes, yes, and I, I have, and actually, if you look here, my my branding is for cattle. People buy stories <laughs> cup because I, I I think branding is important later on but it's something that happens it's not something that you do really that's right yeah. i totally totally agree it is you it's the same thing you can't ask for respect people just <laughs> give it to you yeah <laughs> that's so true i never thought of it that way um and it, so i want to come back to this comedy idea because you went out there another thing that people are afraid of too and when i see content they're like people are going to steal my content but I mean, it was, did it happen a lot that people stole jokes and were you ever afraid of that? Well, that's a great point because when I first started comedy, I borrowed jokes from other comedians without asking because I was afraid on stage that are people going to like me? Are they going to think I'm funny? So I didn't have that confidence and that held me back from becoming a really good stand up until I abandoned that and said, Look, I can't care what the audience – I care what the audience thinks, but I can't let them dictate to me what is going to be funny. If, if, I'm, if I feel like I'm funny, I've got to take that step and go all balls out and just do my thing. You've got to find your own voice, just like with copy. So after I started um, doing uh, – uh, Really finding my voice and doing my own material. And I, I mean, the first two, three years, I was, you know, a couple of jokes. It wasn't people's entire act. And there were comedians who did that. But I realized that's just a dead end. It's like, you know, it, it's it's just a dead end. So you've got to find your voice. And the, and the again, um, the audience will help you help you find that. How did you go about finding your voice? So it's something that a great comedian said, and that person is in the public's eye. He's somebody different. He's not somebody. It was Bill Cosby, but he said something great. So there's the man and there's the message, right? Mm -hmm. The man 
questionable right now with what's been going on. His message in terms of his stand-up was just amazing. Yeah. And he said something that stuck with me, and he said, learn to love the silence. I love that. So when I was on stage, at first, I always, if I wasn't hearing that laugh, bop, 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 all the time, I would get nervous and go, oh, the audience doesn't like me, I'm not doing well, I'm tanking, I'm bombing. But as soon as I was able to stop and just tell a story or deliver a joke and not worry if the laugh was coming or that there was no laughter in between the the segues the transitions or those parts where I'm telling a story as soon as I was able to that helped me find my voice more than anything was getting comfortable in that space where I wasn't hearing laughter man that's so good and that's and that applies throughout life and especially throughout your copy because we're always looking to be validated we're looking to be validated in our copy we're looking to be validated in Whatever we do with our partners, with our loved ones, they, with our opinion, you and I on this podcast looking for acceptance, validation. Hey, was this good? Did I do well? Are we giving people what they want? Are they happy? It's a, just constant validation. And uh, yeah, it's funny because I, I, at first when I started the podcast, I felt that way. Now I'm like, I get to talk to awesome people like you. So this is really just about me asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> No and that's real. Yeah. And, and it's in the asking those questions where you and asking the wonderful questions where you get the answers. Awesome. Great answers. So you progress from comedy to writing. Did you have a background in writing? No. So it was I I was I, I after I stopped doing stand up in 96. But well, before that, in 1990, I met a guy who was a, uh, a graduate film student in NYU. I was living in New York City. And uh, I was going out on acting auditions, and I acted in a student film that he wrote. And we hit it off, and we started writing screenplays together. We wrote three screenplays together. So I said I would say that that's where my writing really started. That in the same time, and co-writing um, an off-Broadway play as well with a group of other comedians. <clears throat> so... By learning screenplay and structure and also teleplays, because I was writing uh, spec scripts for Northern Exposure, Seinfeld, Home Improvement. Uh, that helped a lot for Disney, some Disney scripts as well. Uh, it really just, if you just sit down and do it and just give it some time every single day and so that there's consistency, that story formula just it just starts to seep in, much like it does with you when you're making your clients feel comfortable in front of the camera, getting them to, getting them to tell their story. It's it's second. It's it's part of who you are now, Ian. It's your it's very second nature to you. You really don't have to think about it. Now it's just the nuances and go. Oh, that's good. You you know your radar goes up and say, let's talk about that because you know that's integral to a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad, you, you know, we're talking about story because obviously you, you had to write awesome stories, but there is some formula to it. And the formula just it, it doesn't go away. It's it's ingrained in us as humans, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I think it's in our limbic system. I, we are hardwired for story. The the first forms of communication once there was was language, we, even when picked, I mean, you look at the 
pictographs that are, you know, 40, 50,000 years old in the caves of Lascaux in France, and they're telling stories. Petroglyphs from the Native Americans from hundreds and thousands of years ago. Uh, hieroglyphics with the Egyptians. All of those things. They all tell stories. And then it came when you start with language. That's there was no telephone. There was no cell phones back thousands of years ago. And you can look at any scripture in any culture, whether it's the uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Bhagavad Gita. The, and whether it's Muslim, Islam, Buddha, every they're all stories. Why do they have such longevity? Why have they been around for thousands and thousands of years? Because they're telling amazing stories. And at their roots, no matter what your faith or what your beliefs, if you take a look at these stories, they all have the same lessons. They're all teaching the same lessons. They all have characters in them. They have... They have kings, they have queens, they have warriors, they have emperors, they have the peasants, they have the common folk. And I mean, you look at somebody and, you know, whether it's Buddha or you're looking at Jesus or Moses, they all spoke in they, they spoke in parables and, and in very simple words and terms that the masses could understand, because back then the masses were illiterate. They couldn't read. So they got kind of like, their ideas. What's that? It hasn't changed that much. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Nobody's reading our sales letters. They just want to watch. They want to watch a video. <laughs> so they want to watch. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to you know when you're writing these stories and you're you're thinking about man those are great stories that last over a thousand years but now I'm writing a story for Seinfeld where what were your keys what were your triggers what was your template that you used. Great story. So there is, uh, there's definite sitcom formula. And you can look at it. If you sit and look at any sitcom, whether it's you, today, you, you, I, um, throughout time, nothing much has changed in story structure. You know, you want to set up a conflict right away. You want to set up what's the big problem? What's the big problem? Because in the next 24 minutes, at the end of the sitcom, half an hour, six minutes for commercials, you're going to have a solution to that problem. And if you look at any scene in that, it opens with it by asking a question, whether it's rhetorical or say, oh, oh, what's this problem? By the end of that scene, you've kind of got a partial solution to that problem. But it also opens up another question, which says we have another problem. We have another issue which just catapults you into the next scene. And if you look at any movie with any scene or in any sitcom or any TV drama, you will find that. You will see that it happens. That's why you're watching a movie with your head in, your neck's craning, and if it's really good, you don't even know that you're eating popcorn. You're just so engaged, and the hour has gone by, the 30 minutes or the 90 minutes or two hours if you're watching a movie, and you don't even know it. You don't feel your butt in the chair. You're totally engaged. That's good storytelling where it feels seamless, like you become a participant as much as an observer of what's happening. That's all. Yeah. Oh, and so it's, I mean, stories are so crucial. We talk about all the time on the show. I talk about clients, uh, but you know, when they get into the copy, they forget about it. So you moved into from being a writer now to a copywriter. I mean, was that a natural progression for you because you're such a great storyteller? Well, it's, 
I, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't think about it. It didn't feel deliberate at all. I, after I, I've written like over a dozen screenplays, which helped me, um, and about a half a dozen uh, spec teleplays or, or uh, sitcoms, spec scripts. And then uh, I remember my first job in Hollywood as a copywriter, and you're not called a copywriter in Hollywood where you're writing commercials for Anything that's on, whether it's film, television, or radio, spot, you're, you're called a writer-producer. Because you not only have to write the copy, you also have to go into the editing room, and if it's for television, you have to pick out clips from that show so that you're marrying the visuals with the copy. And the same thing, if you're doing it for radio, you've got to marry your copy with sound bites from that show or that movie. So I was thrown into the lion's den because the guy I played, we, we had a weekly card game that I played with a bunch of comics in Los Angeles. And it was just great because you had to have a really strong stomach to sit at the table with a bunch of comics. And, <laughs> you know, and you, you had to have iron skin because, man, for three, four or five hours of playing cards, you're going to get. <laughs> you're just gonna get pummeled verbally. <laughs> so you get you gotta take it, you give it back, you take it. So uh there was one of the comedians who's a very good comedian, he's still he's still working today, said, Hey, he was working at Warner Brothers, he said, We need somebody to write promos for us at, at, at Warner Brothers. So I said, Sure, I'll do it. I just got off stopped doing stand up and I went in, I interviewed, I got the job with some writing samples. I'm there less than a week, and the two head writers who were like they were the writers, and there was me, go on vacation. So I'm left for two weeks on my own writing stuff for the for the program directors. It was just, again, thrown into the lion's dead, so I really learned fast and had to think on my feet. So that's where it started, and then I was able to build a resume because then I could have TV spots I had on, you know, on VHS tapes or, or these eight track tapes that you could just bring around and say, here's my resume. You like the spots? <laughs> Great. So I worked for E and, uh, you know, you read all the, the studios. So that's, that's how it started. And then when I moved, I, I was in Hollywood and it, right after 9-11 happened, um, my daughter was born in 1999. And she had uh, breathing problems. She didn't agree with the air quality. And in Los Angeles, she just was really having trouble breathing. So we moved where we live now, which is in Sedona, Arizona. We loved it. It expedited. We wanted to move there. That health issue expedited the move. I had to find something really fast. And I fell into real estate investing. That's what happened. It was just how I went to a real estate seminar and said, oh, okay, this sounds good. I had to find a way to make a living. So my big why, W-H-Y, was I got to support my family. And so fortunately, it worked out. And then I started creating my own real estate investing products. And then I started writing copy for it and putting it online. And then other real estate gurus started to say, hey, could you write for me? So that's what I started doing. So I started writing for the real estate niche, investing and for realtors and brokers and that's how my online copywriting experience. And then I just started studying the greats, Gary Halbert, Dan Kennedy, John Carlton, Gary Bensavenga, I, you know, Paris Lampropolis, you name it. They just I just studied their sales letters and their and their marketing. So that's awesome because, I, you know, 
one of the things we always talk about is how do you learn to write great copy? And you have this ba- now you have this massive storytelling ability, and you've written and and you were throwing lions then. But if you had to start right now, and you're just starting all over, had no idea what you were doing, what would you do to learn to write great copy? All right, so this is what I did physically to learn great copy is I took John Carlton's um, Kick-Ass Copywriting Secrets, and he's got four big notebooks of swipe files of all his high-performing sales letters. I wrote them all out by hand. I mean, it's the old Gary Halbert thing. You want to be a great copywriter? Here, here's one of my sales letters. Go write it by hand. And that's what I did. I took a, I took several months Every single day, the first thing I did, I didn't answer emails, I didn't turn the computer on, I opened it up, and I had a legal pad and a fountain pen, because I like, with that kind of fountain pen, and I would just copy word for word, and things that really hit me, I'll go, okay, what's John doing here? Oh, in this, here's a hook. Here's a, here's what he's doing in his headline. Is it a big promise? Is there pain? Is there a big, is it a big benefit? Is it curiosity? What's he doing? Then I go to the subhead. What's he doing here? That's got to support the headline and it's got to continue. So looking at his work sentence by sentence, does that sentence get me to read the next sentence? Does does that sentence and that phrase get me to go to the next sentence? Am I writing in a way my public, my, my specific niche target market can understand. Am I speaking their language? Am I getting their pain? Am I empathizing? All of that. And that's how I, you know, I, it took me from here to here. You know, it, 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 it's like a, this quantum leap and it's very subtle. It's not like it just happens at the snap of a finger. And I read, I, you know, I, I always remember this phrase that, um, great leaders are great readers. So I, I have a habit, I have a daily habit that really helps mm. me, which is exercise. I'm up at, I mean, I'm happy to share it to you. Yeah, I want to know. I want to know. Uh, I was going to ask you. So I'm up between like quarter to five, five every morning. I, I'm, I go to the, I, I'm a swimmer, so I swim every single day. I'm in the pool. Then I go into the steam room or the sauna. I stretch, I meditate, I come out, and I read for an hour. Mostly nonfiction. So then I read, and I'm home by 7 o'clock each morning. I'm Tom, for my daughter's a senior in high school now. But every day I, I'm able to see my daughter. So that that is my morning routine seven days a week, even on Saturday and Sunday. Awesome. Awesome. That's a fantastic routine. Um, what are you reading right now? So I'm reading... Uh, Three things right now. So I'm reading Unshakable by Tony Robbins, which is a condensed version of Money Master the Game, which is very good. I'm also reading uh, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. And I, somebody just turned me on to the Jack Reacher series by Lee Childs and <laughs> for fiction. And I, I just love it. It's fantastic. And I've got Michael um, Lewis's new book. Uh, and I'm blanking on the name right now. That's sitting on the table. So, but I read. I just read tons of marketing. I mean, I'm looking at my bookshelf here, and it's so much Dan Kennedy, all of his no BS books, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Love it. Uh, yeah. So, just by doing that as a habit every day, just uh, it. That's awesome. It, I know. It's. Uh, I, I love it. 
That's fantastic. Um, yeah, reading is crucial. Um, I'm a big audiobook person too, so mm-hmm. I, I do both those. Um, what's your What's your favorite or most influential book that you've read? Wow, that's a huge question. <laughs> Holy smokes! You know what's funny is I read your card, and your favorite book is the Tao Te Ching, and that's on my bookshelf. I've had that copy for. Oh my gosh, 30, 35 years, I think now. That same cop. Which which so, which version of it is it? Hold on, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> the I Ching, uh, Book of Changes by Wilhelm and Baines. Oh, okay. Oh, awesome. I have not I've not seen that one. I mean, look at this thing. The pages are yellowed and it's um, I'll tell you, you know what book I really loved, and I can say that, and I remember this changed my life, was The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. Mm, that's a great book. I remember being hooked in 1986 watching that PBS series. I couldn't get enough, and then I read his, I read his works. Uh, that was fantastic. Awesome. I uh, truly oh. love that book. So when it comes to copy principles and and – what are some of the big mistakes that you see when you work with people that aren't in direct response? You know, and because there's there's the whole direct response world, which you know, and then there's like for me, I work with attorneys sometimes, and doctors, and dentists, and a lot of them are afraid of that direct response writing, but then they go the opposite way and it becomes too technical. What are some of the big mistakes that you see on people's websites in their copy? It's all. It's mostly about them. And it's not about the you. It's not about their audience. That is, I would say, the number one biggest, that it's not it's not benefit and you driven, that there's no call to action. Because like you said, if you're working attorneys, doctors, dentists, they're, they don't want to feel, quote unquote, salesy. So they're afraid to ask for the sale, not realizing that. They're selling 24 hours a day in their practice. They're constantly having to sell their services, but they're doing it. They think when they when the client's sitting across from them, they've got to sell their point of view. They've got to sell if it's an attorney. How are they going to approach this case or how are, whatever it is? If it's a doctor, they if a doctor doesn't have a good bedside manner, that's a good deterrent. But even still, for a lot of people, it's not. So. I one of those and that just goes back to what people's you've got to ask well how do you view selling what is selling how do you define it and asking your client that so that you can in education based marketing you've got to find out what that is what is that barrier so you can get through it and get to the next step Mm -hmm. so yeah that's so true so that you know copy is just Whatever the message is, it better be you driven. So, I mean, look at it as if you're on a date. If you're on a date and you're sitting across from a Mimi, I did this and I did this and me and oh, and this and that and I, I did this and I, I, if the word I is the predominant pronoun in their vocabulary, are you going to be, how long is that conversation? How long is that relationship going to last? Yep. We love talking about ourselves. However, asking questions is the best way to learn. It's the best way to get to know somebody. And it's it's amazing. I mean, if you're on a date and you're constantly asking questions, whoever you're on a date with is going to go home and tell their friends, I just had the best date. Mm-hmm. 
they are fascinating. That that guy, that woman, she's just amazing. And they didn't even say a word about themselves <laughs> because they, the other person was talking. It's so <laughs> true. You know, and actually, there's a great book uh, by a friend of mine called Curious by Todd Cashin. I don't know if you've ever read it, <laughs> but he did a whole science of like of people asking questions. And he did all these studies. And when you ask questions, people actually think you're better looking. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I wish I knew that when I was single. I know, I know. But I, <laughs> the more questions you ask, the better looking and friendlier people perceive you as, which is crazy. Uh, 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 a business <laughs> mentor once said to me, I, I'll never forget this. He said, the quality of your life is directly proportional to the quality of the questions that you ask. That's fantastic. Oh, man, I'm writing that one down. And I'm, I'm taking notes. Um, what now let's shift a little into tactics because I want to talk with internet marketing, you know, direct response, classic direct response, you know, was ads, you know, placements, direct mail pieces, which I think are coming back. But with the changes in, in our attention span, with the changes in, and how much information is coming at us, how has your copywriting changed? Great question. So, because a lot of it for me has to do with visuals. Now, I still love writing, let's say, a long form, a 25, 30-page 30, 30 sales letter, all text on a white page. Frank Kern does that really well. He's very effective with it. However, if you look at the way that websites have evolved just in the past year alone, you see these big blocks of color, right? The, you know, whether... They're blocks of color on a, on a sales letter or on a web page. Nice blues, underneath it white. Then maybe a block of gray. So what I have found and what I have observed is that, that those graphics can sometimes dictate the copy that goes inside them. It, it breaks it up subconsciously for the reader. So instead of having this copy on a, on a page interspersed with just graphics, those color blocks of copy, those color blocks um, on, a, on a page can, it's like changing scenes in a story. So your headlines and your, your headline, so let's say you have your grabber, which is the first thing at the top. Attention, real estate investors, or however you're going to start your, your sales letter. And then that's in one block of copy. Or your company logos up there, then that, and that can be, let's say, it's in a light blue. Then below that, you have a something that's a light gray underneath it. There's your headline and your subhead. Below that, you start into the the body of your copy. You can start with if you're starting with, uh, let's say, pain. Are you having trouble finding leads for for uh, leads to buy your houses? Are you are you struggling? Are you spending hours on the phone cold calling? So now we get into pain and you have a block that's, let's say, it's orange and it's going to have the pain. Now the reader is associating subconsciously headline. They're, they're being taken along different scenes of a story so that I think that's more easily digestible. And for me, that's I'll think in those terms. I'll think in terms of colors and how it's guiding, how I'm laying out. Now, there's a formula for me. I go, there's a certain structure that I use. But now, it's deliberate and it's visual 
for the person reading it because each of those things that I'm talking about, each of those different scenes, they're in different color blocks of copy. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes so much sense. So much sense. You know, I, I always play around and I like that visual aspect. And we've been doing that a lot more with videos and like we do these video animated case stories. We're playing around with, you know, using copy kind of like a, a animated, like a, a video sales letter, but we're changing the colors and playing around with the colors because the, all, all these things tell a different story, right? Like, I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that and you said to change scenes too. And if you look at, I mean, and color is, is, is really big. I mean, there's certain, like the color orange is a, is a buy color, which is why you had the big, you know, the Johnson box is usually orange. Add to cart, buy now. Um, you've got the colors of trust, which are blues, are, are, are colors of trust. So you can use that to your advantage when you're writing. And you can use it to advantage tremendously in visuals. And I mean, if you are, you're getting the best stories out of these people, how are you dressing? How are they dressing? I mean, you look at the president, you know, he's always got a red tie on. That's a power color, right? Mm-hmm. So who are you talking to and what kind of message are you, do you want to convey? Who's your, the person that you are interviewing when you're creating your videos, Ian, that all right, is we want somebody to, we want this person to be trustworthy or we want this person to be an authority. Two very different colors, color schemes, whether you're using it, you're shooting them in the background, you've got flowers and arrangement. Are you putting this person as a woman? You're going to put her in a kitchen. You're going to put her with uh, an office behind her. What are those colors? Are they steel gray? Are they blue? You know, all those things are going through your head. Yeah. Because oh. they convey certain messages. Yep, it's all about that message and telling the story with everything that you have. And I love the fact that you're talking about that the copy is it's not just the the words, right? And a lot of people think it's just the words, but it's the structure, it's the color, etc. And it's absolutely, and especially if you're telling a story, I think it's critical to find those those words that your audience is using, your specific market is using and to infuse those and to use those words and to use words that are on a fifth grade level that everybody can understand. <laughs> because as you mentioned at the top, you know, you have content writers or the doctors, lawyers, it gets very technical. It's like you're reading a white paper and you're asleep after the first paragraph. And so many people think you need to write that way. And that is not how you get a message across. You get a message across by making something that's easily digestible and understandable. You've got the one of the wealthiest men on the planet, Warren Buffett, who uses very simple language. He's so quotable because anybody can understand it. Anybody, mm-hmm. a teenager can understand what he's saying and get it. Yep. It's almost as if he's speaking in parables. He speaks in metaphor. <laughs> yep. Yep. I remember, you know, one of my favorite Warren Buffett quotes was, uh, you know, when I, I was a hedge fund trader in the late 90s and, you know, he gets out and during the tech boom, he goes, I don't get it. And just walked away. And you're like, well, yeah. oh, and then the market tanked, right? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't do five, six paragraphs of, well, this is overbought and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't get it. <laughs> I remember that. He doesn't understand. If he doesn't understand the business, he won't invest to in it. He and Bill Gates have been close friends for years. And Bill asked him, you know, how come you haven't invested in me? He goes, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. I get newspapers. I get candy. 
you know, <laughs> sees candy that I know. I get railroads that I know freight, you know, that I get. And yet here's Buffett. Even though he never invested in Microsoft and in Bill Gates, he leaves his entire fortune to his philanthropic organization, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, full circle. Um, yeah, it's so full circle. Full circle. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit more about you. What in your successes and your failures, because we all have had a few failures. I mean, I'm sure you've had at least one. Uh, <laughs> um, I know I've had 10 today. Um, what... What was a piece of copy or what was a time that you wrote something that you're like, man, this is going to work? And it and there was just crickets. Oh, all, all too often. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I, I Usually if I go, boy, I like this, I know there's going to be trouble. <laughs> or, and at the same time, if the client says, I love this, I say, there's going to be trouble. Yep. Because I, if a client, and I get this a lot, okay, can you guarantee me, can you beat our control? And I'll say, I have no idea. I have no idea if I can beat your control or not. Let's, let's find out if the market wants that. If I'm speaking their language, if you give me the information that I need, if your information is right, if you've done your market research and you tell me who they are, I have a better chance of beating your control. If I have to go out and research your market, it's going to take longer, and I, I think I can beat your control, but there's no way I could say I can guarantee it. So I'm always, always testing. I, I mean, that's the beauty. It's like going on stage and testing a joke. Is it going to work the first time? Most likely not. It's going to be shaped and honed. So I, whenever I give my copy to a client, I've I've got butterflies. Even as long as I've been doing this, I always have butterflies. I always have reserve. I have reservations. And I'm a little nervous, whether it's an email, whether it's a landing page, a sales page, whether if I'm writing a webinar, a video sales letter. It's – I wouldn't say it's a crapshoot. I'm, I'm oh. good at what I do, but I'm always – I'm not arrogant enough to think this is a winner ever 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 oh, and but the most successful people go into it the beginner's mind and that's why i try and tell people too in the marketing is I, they're like well what's you know when i was big in seo people are like well what are the keywords and i'm like you you don't know what the keywords are you don't know how your client's searching for you that's going to actually yeah. work no, i don't either i can take an educated guess and that's where we're going to start but mm-hmm. if I if I if we get determined that that's the right way, which I see, I think this is the biggest failure in marketing is people are determined that's the right way, and they keep going at it and going at it and going at it instead of paying attention to like those little subtle nuances that happen. And yeah, I I, I think that's the best thing out there to say I don't know, but I'm going to try. I will. I have found out something by surveying. I've really started surveying audiences um, a lot. Um, and I have found that by doing that, I'll, I'll go do the research first. I'll look and see what people are talking about. And then based on that information, go ask a question to, to find out where their biggest pain point is. And then they'll tell me. And then if I write copy to that, the response rate goes way up. The conversions go way up. So I've got the past two 
landing pages I wrote for a download on a product, one is converting at 50% and the other one's converting at 63%. So the audience told me, and they practically wrote the copy themselves because all I'm doing is using their words. I don't have to make stuff up. That's just way too much work to guess and to assume or to think that you're smart enough to know what your market wants. That's a danger. Yeah, that is a danger. It's very dangerous to marketing to make any type of assumption and assume you know what your market wants. And also, I, it's interesting because I, you know, we were just having literally before this podcast, I was having this discussion with my team because the client's like, oh, I don't see how that works for our market. And I'm like, but you're not your market. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. With the house, you know, with uh, my rental houses. Is that a house I would live in? No. But you know what? That's a house that I I put it on the market and within a couple of days, somebody's renting it because they will live in it. Yep. They'll live in it. It's in a blue collar neighborhood. It's stable. It's it needs paint. It needs some work. But Man. I know there are families that are going to live there because they want a house. And they don't want to move. Um. So we've talked about beginner's mind and failure. Can you tell me about one of your biggest successes? Was it a sales letter? Especially recently, because I, I, you know things have changed a little. I want to know like what's worked really, really well recently. Okay, so I had a client. She was in the the, the diet space, the cra- the the craving space, and I did her sales funnel. I'm, I'm a, a launch and funnel copywriter, so everything is direct response. Everything is the call to action. Click to watch the video, subscribe, buy, you know, whatever it is, there's a call to action. So I wrote her, um, I wrote all her email campaigns, I wrote the landing page, the sales letter, and I didn't know this, but she, um, she did, uh, Good Morning America. She was on television. And I, and the morning that she was on, I found out through the, um, her, her marketing director that she was on Good Morning America. And I said, are, are you capitalizing on this? And they said, no, no. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Let me write a sales letter. And I want to put that in there because, and then she, and then get it out to her list. And she was really hesitant to do this. She didn't think because she'd done this program. She'd done morning TV, uh, several times. Uh, so I said within in a day, I cranked out a sales letter and I highlighted this. It took a screenshot of her with the host of Good Morning America. It was national television. Put it in there. And I said, there it is. Now, let me write the emails and we can drive your list to there and make some sales on this product that you're talking about. Well, tens of thousands of dollars from that one email and that sales letter from that from that one appearance of somebody that was very resistant and not only didn't capitalize on it at first but was very resistant to it so i mean that sticks out of my head that's awesome something like you say you know sometimes the the client or whoever it is she's not her market and it was almost that same type of thing it's it's hard for us to not realize that it's hard for us to get outside that that we are not our market 
And it always amazes me because, you know, even me, I'm like, you know, I, there's things I I say all the time that people are like, I didn't know that. I'm like, I I just thought that was common knowledge, right? Yes. (laughs) And they'll pay you for that. And it's things that we think are common knowledge. And then we want to have the latest, coolest, greatest thing ever. And a lot of times that's just way over most people's heads and they don't need that. Uh, Oh, I think simplicity trumps complexity every time. Every time. Every time. And, and I'm, I and I'm 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 really good at making stuff complicated, and <laughs> especially if you're promoting and writing for yourself and your own company. That to me, that's the hardest thing. Is I, you know, I need another pair of eyes or three eyes. Well, it, it yeah, it's. I mean, it, my here's my opinion. I'm marketing because you are. I mean, the human body's complex, right? But. In marketing, you're dealing with the human complexity of the human body plus the complexity of our environment and all the other human bodies affecting it. So mm-hmm. marketing is infinitely more complex than the human body. And we never would ever allow a doctor to treat himself. But everyone tries to be their own marketer. <laughs> Lawyers aren't allowed to represent themselves for the most part. But, but everyone wants to be their own marketer. You know, you're right. I mean, it's a wonderful observation, and it's horrible. It's 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 doom from day one when you do that, unless you have somebody who can smack you upside the head, or that you're vulnerable enough to say, "Would you take a look at this and be as brutally honest as possible?" I'm not married to this. I don't have an ego about it. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Please tell me. And that's the wonderful thing about belonging to a coaching group or especially a mastermind group where you have that and you can get that direct, immediate feedback. You know, and and I'm glad you said that, too, because I I tout masterminds on this. And I I think only probably 2% of my listeners are in a mastermind and how critical. It's hard to find a good mastermind, but what you do, once you do, it transforms your business. Oh, absolutely. It, it, to me, it's, I, I think it's a lot of people look at it as an expense because typically masterminds are a little bit of, you know, they're a bigger buy-in than, than a product or a service. But you're, but you're investing in, you're just investing in, in your, your entire business into this. That's how I look at it. And if I come out of it, if I spend five, 10, 15 grand to be in a mastermind and I come out with one golden idea and I implement it, that ROI is exponential. It's yeah. a, mul- not a, it's, it's a multiple. It really is. Yes. If, look at it going in. If I'm spending 15,000, am I going to get an idea that's worth at least 15,000? Absolutely. I know it because if I hear and I learned that with real estate investing the first time it was it was an expensive mastermind and I got an idea from the guy running it and I came home, implemented it. It was just amazing. I got my investment back. It was 21 times over from that one mastermind. Man, that's that's awesome. That is fantastic. That, you just got to you got to take the information. There's information, and then there's implementation. Yep. So you've got to use it. You got to do something with it. Oh man, uh, um, yeah. That's that's the the key to it too. Is implement implementing. Um, so speaking of implementation, if someone wanted to come work with you, you've got your website, onebigideamarketing.com, correct? Yes. Yeah, and. and- 
on there. They can learn about you. Tell me a little bit about your services and how someone engages you and works with you and what's the process. Sure. So it's a combination because with just copywriting, it's rare when there's a client who says, I know exactly what I want. Here's what I want you to do. That's the copywriting side. Then there's the consulting side, which is the majority of it because the majority of it is consulting because you've got to have that relationship and find out what the client's got. So if they want to work with me, they can. There's a there's a, an intake form at onebigideamarketing.com, and they can fill it out. And depending on what they want for their business, predominantly, uh, I do. I like long term the long term relationships. But we start out dating first. I don't say let's not sleep together on the first date to say All right, I want you to build my entire funnel. Let's start with one thing. I need to get your voice. I need to. We both need to resonate. There's need to be. There needs to be congruency there. Are we going to get along? Do we like working with each other? Do I have? Um, do I think you're adding value to the marketplace with your product or service? Is it a? Is it worthwhile? Do you have legs? So, I'll. We'll find out all of those things, and then come to a strategy, a plan timelines, milestones, and how to implement what they have. And uh, that and that will also include the copy. And where does the copy start? So what's interesting is that so many companies start by building the widget first without even asking the market because, again, they assume what it is. And then they, then they get all of this other stuff. They'll get uh, a CRM. They'll get Infusionsoft or ActiveCampaign or they'll buy ClickFunnels or they'll Maripost or Salesforce, and they spend all this money. Then they go out and buy great video equipment, and then, uh, and, <laughs> and then the last thing they think about is the copy. Yeah. The copy and the message is the most important part of the business, especially the message. Do you have your unique selling proposition? Do you have your story down? Yep. Do you know what that is? Is it specific? Is it visual? Does it give the audience exactly what they're craving and desiring? That's where you start. So I'll start with the message. What is your company? What is your company's identity? And how does it benefit your market? Man, yeah, it's uh, it's so crucial. I mean, you, you start with that. If you have a good enough message, you don't you'll make money without that stuff. And then you that's the the fuel to the fire. Right? The the message is the fire. On there. Yeah. It goes back to storytelling. What's your story? Yeah. Where does it end? What's the goal? So, yeah. if you're hiring me or any service, what is your end game? What is your intent in hiring Ian or hiring Dean for your services? All right. Where do you want to get? Saying I want to, you know, I want to make more money. Too vague, too general. Really, what do you want to do? Well, specifically, what do you want to do with that story? Because it's going to shape your message. If you have a product or service, what is it? I want to know all the nuances about that product or service so that we can find the core of that message, which is your story. Awesome. You don't start a screenplay. You don't start a short story. You don't start a blog without knowing where's it going to end. You need that roadmap. You really need it. And then you reverse engineer it. Then you back it up. Then you think, okay, where do I start? How can I have an intriguing way to start this so I suck them right in? Not once upon a time. You don't have to start at the beginning. Let's start in the middle and work to the end. Awesome. Awesome. 
Dean Edelson, thank you so much. And if you guys want, uh, just click on the show notes and you'll be able to get a link to One Big Idea Marketing. Learn more about Dean. He also has on his homepage a free magnetic funnel copy blueprint. Obviously, by listening to him, he knows copy and it's a great place to start. Um, It's so, so important. Starting with copy is absolutely critical uh, from web design, starting with that message, starting with that story. Uh, Dean, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been awesome. Thanks, Ian. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the Garlic Marketing Show and taking Dean and I on your journey. And make sure to check out his website and write great copy. And I, I have to correct myself. It's Ian. Oh, no. I can spell it right. I can't pronounce it right. <laughs> it's it's pretty common, so it's no big deal. <laughs> it's even in the intro to the show, so that people mispronounce it every time. So awesome. Well, Dean, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Ian. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 